and he is the Lord of all, and that includes trials. Last Sunday, we talked out of James chapter 1, account it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing, lacking in everything. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he, for when she has stood the test, they will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Last week we talked about how we must consider trials with joy. That is such upside down thinking, isn't it? Trials, those difficult circumstances in life and allowed by God. Consider trials with joy, with that supernatural delight in the person, the purposes, and the people of God. Why? Why consider trials with joy? Because as we talked about last week out of James 1, because they produce the staying power that I need. Because in them, there's this remaining under ability that trials bring with it. Well, why do I need that? Uh, In order to get the full transformation package that God has for you and me. God's love is a perfecting love and not a pampering love. Hey, friends, we live in a world, we live in a culture. Just watch the TV with the preachers. And the gospel that is being proclaimed is that the gospel is a pampering love. Get Jesus, all your problems are gone. What? I want to tell you that is horrible theology. God's love is a perfecting love. It's about helping us to become more like Christ. That is upside down thinking, but that is biblical thinking. And that's what we started this series out with last Sunday. And then Monday came. A story in my life on Monday. Monday comes. uh, I had an appointment with a doctor, with a dermatologist. Five months earlier, had set up this appointment with the dermatologist. And because over the years, I'm a very fair-skinned pe- person, and I've got this skin damage stuff going on and so forth. And we just, you know, keep track of what's going on. And so five months earlier, I'd set up this der- dermatologist appointment. I have nothing to do with this series. And so I go to the dermatologist, Dr. Martin, a friend of ours up in the Lafayette area that we've known for a number of years, and his family. And uh, he only says this because of being friends, but as he's got his, you know, eye things on, looking closely at my face, he's looking at my face, and he goes, boy, Doug, your face is really messed up. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I knew that. Depends how you take that. And then after talking a little bit, he said, Doug, it's time. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And that was, in other words, it's time to begin this process for me on my face where I have to put on once a day this... uh, lotion that is basically a, a topical precancerous skin chemotherapy treatment for my skin that kills all of the, the bad damage that's been done over the years to a fair-skinned person like myself. And um, Isn't God funny? 
you know, because part of it for me, it's like if it's your arm or leg, whatever, but I have to come and I have to talk to you and you look at me. And uh, so in these coming weeks, one, I want to let you know that um, I'm going to be looking a little bit different. Uh, I've been on this now for about four days and it really doesn't start showing. I'm just beginning to see a little bit of showing of it, but you really can't tell. And But here in the next few days, it'll start showing next week and you can come and see the freak. Uh, but just to prepare you or to tell your kids what's going on so they don't run to the to the corner and cry. Uh, I've got a kind of picture here to see kind of what this looks, just so you're aware. Um, you know, and so it's like the first one I could handle, but this one, oh man. So pray for me. No, in all seriousness, bring up the next one. This is kind of where it goes. Only reason I bring this up is just, you know, I'm in a situation with my career and with my job. People are going to be wondering what's going on, why my face is, and this is kind of what it is. It, ends up looking a bit like a burn victim. So I really, I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, count it all joy. Count it all joy. <laughs> I'm going to have to just like count it, consider it says, put my head down to that one and think this through and realize in light, what, what is God wanting to do? Is it just this time so that as we talk on this topic, I look like that so that I can be able to impress more what's going on? I don't know, whatever. That's God's deal, but that's part of what's going on with it. Consider trials with joy. And God's timing is very interesting, isn't it? It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to live it. It's another thing to live it. That's why in this series that what we're doing is as last week was starting, today and the rest of the 11 weeks coming up here are going to be about looking at people from the scriptures who experienced a variety of trials. And we're going to be looking at people like Noah. We're going to be looking at people like Abraham. In fact, in your notes today, it says Abraham at the top. I changed literally later this week. Uh, I changed, and we're going to start with Noah, actually, and I'll tell you why here in a couple minutes. But uh, we're going to be looking at Noah and Abraham and Joseph and David and Job and Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar and the disciples and others that aren't on here. And, and I'm doing this because James 1 talks about how various trials, and so we're going to be looking at each of them, and I want for you to understand where I'm going with this. Each week is not the same. Each week is not this. God gives trials, suck it up. That's not what we're doing. It's we're looking at each of these and we're seeing the unique trials that God does bring into life. This is why later this week when I was going through my list of where we're going with this series, I realized in this I didn't have in it the reality that some people are given lifetime trials. So we're going to go to Noah today. Because we're going to learn from Noah that some things in life God puts on our lap for a lifetime and their ministries. We'll talk about that later. Uh, We're going to see from Abraham, a test of obedience. From Joseph, God prepares and places me. Trials can be for the purpose of God preparing and preparing to place me somewhere. Trials can be just so that the Lord is magnified before people. Uh, It can be so that a living testimony, the Job one is so awesome. That is just such a, oh, 
Uh, Daniel, opportunities, trials can be opportunities to stand. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to take a look at because sometimes God puts trials in our life to discipline, to correct us as well. And sometimes trials are always trials are revealing the heart, but especially in a trial, sometimes, man, the heart just comes out. And so what we're going to do is go through all of these and taking a look at these because all of these, and we're kind of going in a chronological order from beginning to end because so many people think, oh, the saints of the Bible, they had it so simple. They were like tight with God and no problems. Yeah, right. And we're going to see, listen, it's from beginning to end, and we're going to see there's a variety of trials. So it's so important you be here each week as you can, because each week is going to see the unique nuances of what God does through various ones. So in James chapter 1, when we pray for trials wisdom, like we talked about last week, I literally want this for you to be able to be at a place where later on and trials are coming along, and you're like, God, maybe this is a thing you're putting on my life for a lifetime, a ministry lifetime. God, maybe this is something you're putting. You're just testing my obedience to you. Lord, maybe this is the kind of thing that you're bringing into my life to be able just to magnify you or to prepare me, to place me for something I don't even know about in the future. But not only that, we're going to be also taking a look in all of this and learning more about the Lord and learning some characteristics of God himself. And today, for instance, this is going to be a lifetime ministry, and we're going to learn that God has a plan. God has a plan. Let's go ahead and bring up that next one, if we could, Paul. Yeah, God has a plan. We're going to see that God redeems. God is sovereign. God is mighty. God is to be worshipped. God protects. God restores. God is a whole variety of these kinds of things. All of this is a unique aspect of each of these, and I'm so looking forward to it. So today we go to Noah. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And as we're getting there, I just want to reiterate what Paul had said earlier about uh, if you haven't been or aren't in a connection group and would like to get into one, I really want to encourage you to consider doing that. That's how you really start connecting in with people. And we're a very ministry that's just oriented to discipling of one another. And it's not just a, a side program. Our small groups are key here in uh, trying to make that a part of who we are together. And also, just to let you know, boy, I'd love for you to be a part of the marriage conference coming up. If you want to kind of look at it this way, uh, if Karen and I could have six weeks of counseling with you, with you, your spouse, um, on for a six-week period of time, this is the stuff we'd want to lay out for you as we're going to be covering that. And this is the stuff that, for Karen and I, has completely impacted our marriage Uh, for good and looking forward to that. Well, Genesis 6, here we go. Ready? Let me pray. God, would your words speak to us? Open our hearts, open our minds, help us to see you and help us to see how you use life sometimes with trials, with tasks that last for a lifetime that remind us of the need and the reality clinging to your plan. In your name we pray, amen. Genesis 6, verse 1, when, the man, well, when men began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. I'm not going to have time to dig into that. Verse 3, look at this. Then the Lord said... 
Interesting statement. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Very interesting statement here. A discussion, debate about what he's talk, what he's, is being talked about there. Uh, some, and I think actually your first reading of that, you go, you know what hap- has happened here is God has put a lifespan, a length of lifespan on our lives. In other words, he said, because look at chapter 5. You look over there and you're like, my goodness, people live for a honking long period of time. Uh, like this guy, in verse uh, 13, lived 840 years. You, you see others, 365 years. You see 969 years. So obviously what's happening here is God saying, you know what? I'm done with the length of time because of what's happening and because of the wickedness on earth, and I'm going to shrink it down to 120 years. Uh, listen, I don't think that's at all what it's saying here. And my proof for that is this. Because Abraham lived for 175 years. Because Ishmael lived for 137 years. And because Isaac lived for 180 years. All of them after this declaration. So what's this talking about? I think this is talking about the aspect of what, in essence, bottom line, is God is making this declaration. And it's interesting, we don't even know who specifically he's declaring this to. Is it to the Trinity, to the heavenlies, to Noah? Don't quite know. But God makes this declaration that I think in 120 years the flood's coming. And I'm going to snuff life out. And that's where, just so you know, that's where I'm going with the understanding on how the text is flowing here. Let's jump to verse 5. Here's the condition of earth at the time. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. (laughs) This really is an interesting statement here. Because in this statement, it's kind of like, uh, it could be summed up this way. There was a lot of wickedness on the planet. I mean, that's what it's saying. But look at how it's saying this. Uh, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was what? It was great on the earth and that every intention of the the thoughts of the heart, that's kind of unravel that one. It's kind of like not only the thoughts of your heart are wicked, but every intention of the thoughts of your heart are wicked in this at the time and was only evil and it finishes only evil continually. God's setting up here the understanding of what's taking place on the earth at the time. There was a whole lot of wickedness, broad, deep, and wide on the face of the earth at the time. And before we kind of get to a place to where we think, well, that's not the case anymore, let me remind you a couple of verses, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Let me remind us of Romans chapter 3, New Testament, thousands of years after this period of time. Romans chapter 3, all are under sin. No one is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, before we get arrogant and think, well, not me, that doesn't describe me, let me remind us of what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. This is the Apostle Paul after he came to know Christ as his Savior. Listen to what Paul says about himself. He says, I do not understand my own actions. 
a saved, a redeemed, Paul says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells with me, that is within my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can you relate to that? That is so me. Oh, and by the way, lovingly, that is so you. I love the transparency of the scriptures. And yet it lays out the condition of the reality of things. And yet in Genesis 6, the same thing was the condition. So what does God think about that? What does God feel about that? Romans chapter 6, verse, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Ouch. Yowza. By the way, does God see wickedness? Verse 5, yes. The Lord saw the wickedness. Don't you ever wonder sometimes, like, does God pay attention to what's going on? Does God see the evil that's taking place on the earth? Does God really see sin? And the answer is, yes, he does. And when God sees that, a holy, righteous God, it grieves him to his heart. Because sometimes I think we're like, God, okay, maybe he sees it, but obviously he doesn't really care. No, he does. It grieves a holy God to the core, right to the heart of the heart. So what's he going to do about it? Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man. God's a little honked off. I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. <laughs> now, by the way, the interesting statement with the blot out, blot out man, that word was, is to expunge. The word was used or in reference to when they would write on tablets. You know, they didn't have computers, so they would write on tablet things or, you know, like a chalkboard kind of a thing, the declaration or whatever they're writing down, and they would come and expunge. The word was used for wiping that away. Whatever was on there got wiped away. Oh, and here's one of the interesting realities. They used water to wipe that away. <laughs> Intriguing, the use of the words in the context of what's about to happen. So that's what's taking place. Verse 8, love this, but... Noah. Now God's making a broad declaration of what's happening on the earth, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Listen, God sees wickedness and God sees faithfulness. Even if it's the faithfulness of one person, do you ever feel like, does God see me individually? Yes. This terminology for Noah, God, he found favor. The word for found here, it's not, I, I had a puppy dog, I lost my puppy dog, I found my puppy dog back. The word is actually referring to this. I never had a puppy dog, and I got a puppy dog. It's, it's not talking about puppy dogs, just to make sure. In other words, it's talking about favor and this grace 
in this word for favor in the Septuagint, the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word used in the Greek is used for grace. And so here what he's really saying is, is Noah, it's saying, but Noah was one, like anybody who's redeemed by Christ, was one who did not have, if you will, the grace of God applied to their lives, but then found it. I just want to say this. How were Old Testament people redeemed? How were Old Testament people saved? By grace through faith. It's the same. It's just their faith was looking ahead to the coming of the Redeemer. Our faith, the only difference is, is we have the added benefit of the Redeemer has come. But all is in that saved by grace through faith. Uh, keep going. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man that was vertically right with the Lord by grace. And he was a blameless in his generation. That's horizontally. He was a man of integrity, man to man kind of a thing. And loved this. And Noah what? Walked with God. <laughs> side by side. That image that comes up. Noah walked with God. Wouldn't you want to do that? uh, uh, Chapter 5, verse 24. Look at this. Enoch, Enoch was Noah's great grandfather. Verse 24, Enoch what? Walked with God. Isn't that cool? Hey, grandparents, walk. Walk with the Lord. I'm not saying it's a promise that it's going to happen in the next generation, but I want to tell you something. His great-grandfather walked with the Lord. That has implications on down. And Noah walked with God. Verse 10, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Curly. You know, you just can't, some you can't miss. That's just like set up for that. Uh, I do want to note this. At the end of chapter 5, uh, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So when did Noah have his start having his kids? When he was 500 years old. Yeah, and I do believe this is literal, okay? I want to clarify that. We're not playing like games here with the numbers. I believe this is literal. Uh, we don't even have time to go to this, but think of this, Noah and Mrs. Noah, 500 years and no children, as I understand the text. Do you think that Noah and Mrs. Noah could have had a struggle in understanding, God, we don't have any children? Just keep that back in mind. We, we don't... Uh, just that's the way I understand the text. And I want to tell you something is when we get to David later on, listen, God uses situations of life to prepare, like with Joseph, to prepare and to place us. And I think out of what's happened in the past, it was another process of building faith and strength and commitment to the Lord for what's about to take place in their life now. Well, he was 500 years old when he had the kids. Um, let's keep on going. Verse 11. Now the earth 
was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It's kind of like this is repeating. Why is that? Just real quickly. Because there's a literary break uh, in this, uh, right in this section here, and so there's uh, literary-wise, it's it's completed, it's starting again, kind of restating. That's the way some of these uh, Old Testament things were written. So there's a bit of repetition. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I, uh, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside now with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, Noah. Then finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it, Noah, with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring them two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. All right. Um, we don't see Noah waiting. Or outside, like, God, I don't have a whole lot to do with my life right now. And I've got some extra free time. And if you would like for me to do something for you, just let me know. And I'm here. And then God shows up. That's not what happens. At least as we understand it from what's recorded here. Instead, what I understand is more like James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you meet trials. If you remember last week, if you were here, that word for meet talks about like, boom. It's just something like, comes up. I wasn't quite expecting that. Where did that come from? Listen, it's James chapter 1, verse 2 happening to you. All of a sudden, no, I don't know what he's doing. He's out working on the crops, whatever's taking place. And God shows up and God says, hey, Noah, I got a deal for you. Build a floating hotel. I want for you to build this. Uh, and we're, we don't see Noah's response, so I need to be careful here. But I am going to take this. I am just going to try and kind of place myself there. And this is just uh, sanctified imagination um, here at the moment. And I'm like, I just, chapter 6, so often people just buzz right through it and forget everything that's taking place. And we're camping here. And part of this is, what was his response? It's like, okay, was it? Oh, that's so cool. God has a plan for me to do something like nobody has ever done before. Awesome. It could be like, are you kidding me? Like who and what army is going to make this thing happen? God, do you understand how huge this is? I mean, in all of this, it could be the kind of thing that he's just like, here's this. Why don't you just drop this from the heaven? Listen, we don't have time to dig into that. But this is one of the things. God created everything, right? Couldn't he create an ark? 
Why did God say, build this ark? Because that was God's plan. I really don't know how else I answer it. Because that was God's plan. And it wasn't like Noah, like, hey, God, I know you're thinking about building an ark. I might be able to do that. I kind of a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit handy with wood. God just shows up and he says, dude, build me a huge structure. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, listen to me. You may say God gave him a ministry. I would agree. But this was a lifetime. Look, over in chapter 7, verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the water's flood came. I'm making the assumption here, and this is an assumption. This is just what I'm working with, and you may have a different view on this, but here's my assumption on the years. I think God made this declaration of 120 years. I don't know when he spoke to Noah about making this, but I am making an assumption of this, that it was, we're just going to work with numbers today because I'm doing some engineering stuff here in just a little bit, where we're going to work with the numbers that it was 120 years that God gave Noah to build the ark. That means that Noah is 480 years old when he started the ark. Oh, in 480 years, that means that for 20 years, it was he and Mrs. Noah together. And really, kids aren't much help until they're like 10 years. So let's say it's about 30 years where they're building this together. These are just some assumptions I'm going to be working off of today as we dig into this task that God has given him. And he's given him a life ministry, but here's the deal, folks. This was also a hard life reality. I am not saying that all ministry is a lifetime of trials. I am saying in this process, as we look at this reality of under pressure and trials, that sometimes God puts in people's lives lifetime situations that you have to deal for your life. Some trials are not just a month, a week, a year. Some are for a lifetime, even if it's a ministry. And here's Noah dealing with this thing that God plops into his lap sovereignly and calls him to build this ark. Well, let's take a look at some of this because he's got a hold to God's plan. Let's let's have some fun. Look at the magnitude of the task, building a floating hotel. This thing is 450 feet by 75 feet. How big is that? That's a one and a half football fields long, 75, uh, about one and a half uh, width of a football field, if you will. Uh, let's bring up the Cowboys Stadium. I know, I'm so sorry. I tried to find the Colts Stadium, but I couldn't get a good image to be able to use, so we got the Cowboys. At least it's blue and white. Don't whine. Okay. Now, there's the ark in the stadium. Okay, now it's one and a half football fields long. And so you put it in In some ways, you look at that and go, actually, that makes it look a little bit smaller than what maybe I thought this might be. All right, engineers, here we go. We're gonna have some fun. Let's do this. Let's assume that a tree that was used to build this ark uh, made out of what? Okay, and everybody's got a gopher tree in their yard. Let's assume that each piece of lumber that was used was 12 inches by 12 inches by 25 feet. Actually, could be, uh, for that kind of a tree, could be a viable size. Maybe it wasn't uh, 12 inches. It was whatever. Let's just go with it. But we're going to say it's 12 inches, uh, 12 inches wide, 25 feet long. If we assumed that to build a perimeter outline row of the ark, it would take uh, 1,050 feet. It would take 42 trees to make that line, just one single line 
uh, going around. 42 trees, not a big deal. Uh, the arc height is 45 feet, so that's 45 stack perimeter rows. That's 1,890 trees all stacked up. Now, a single floor. A floor would take 1,350 trees to make a floor. Now, there were four floors, the base, two floors, and then the roof. It's a total of 5,400 trees. Bottom line, in, in my, in my uh, great calculations here, it's going to take about 7,290 trees to build the ark. So he probably had a few dud trees, so about 7,300 trees, okay, to build the ark. Well, uh, hang with me. Now, let's think about a tree. A tree was about, uh, let's say a gopher tree would be about 40 feet in diameter for this tree in the forest. Because how big of an area do you have to grab these trees from? Uh, just so you know, this used to like be my business background and development and developing products. So I love this kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, how do you produce this thing? All right, that's where I'm going here. So you got this tree that's this big. Because I'm like, wait a second, you got like 7,300 trees. How in the world does it, how much acreage does he need to do this? Well, when you take a look at it, a tree, a 40 foot diameter is 1,500 square foot. An acre has 43,560 square feet, so you could get about 31 trees per acre, according to my calculations. Now, if that was the case, the ark could be built out of trees growing in 235 acres. Now, why is that? Because technically, if you were to run the numbers, you would say, actually, it should be more like about seven, 800 acres. This is part of the point. Where I'm getting at is trying to help us understand the magnitude of what God has laid on his life. Here's the magnitude. Just one component. Noah goes and he cuts a tree down. Imagine back in that day what it was like to cut a tree down. No chainsaw, no backhoe, no bobcat, no caterpillar, no bulldozer, no chain. No Lowe's, no Menards. And just cutting a tree down. I mean, what do you like, strap a rock on a stick and whack it to death? I don't, seriously, I don't know. And I know we've been to museums and we see this stuff. So innovation with what they had in those days was pretty amazing. Yet at the same time, folks, this was not like a sharpened iron axe or a chainsaw. And so cutting a tree down, whack, 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 oh my word, I would be like dead or dying in a couple seconds. And so there's the tree, and finally, timber, boom, boom, oh, down, woo, got the tree down. Now we've got to go and clean the limbs off the tree. Now listen, I've just begun with the process. Now I'm trimming the, 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 the branches off of the tree, hacking them off, hacking them off, getting it to a place where I got just the trunk to be able to haul away. Now I've got to move that thing. <laughs> No four-wheel drive, just me and the missus <laughs> and some oxen, okay? And so how you get it, and you haul this, and you take and you haul this to a place, then you've got this roughed out stalk, and now you've got to trim it so that it's actually the kind of piece of wood that's usable in a shaped form because you've got to butt other trees up to it, top and bottom. Now you've got to whatever you call it, hewn it, work it till it gets shaped into this, my imagination, 12 inch by 12 inch by 25 foot long, uh, not a two by four, 12 by 12. 
And so here you are, you've got this tree there, and now you how long does that take? And so you've got this tree and you're hacking it away. You're working it out. Let me just give you some figures. Let's assume 300 work days a year, two vacation weeks, uh, 52 Sabbath days, even though they didn't have the Sabbath at the time. Uh, 120 years of 300 year of 300 out, or I'm sorry, 300 days per year is 36,000 work days. Assume a tree takes five days. No, I think that's reasonable because by the time you cut it, shape it, move it, place it, assemble it, imagine once the art gets up a ways, trying to get that booger up and place in place, and then you got to thatch it. So let's just say five days per tree. With that being the case, five days per tree, it would take 22 years to build the base of the ark. Now imagine this with the thing. You've been working 22 years. You've been out at your 200-acre plot. You've been hauling trees. And after 22 years, I was in business for 21 years. And I think if I spent all that time in business and I go out and someone asks me and says, what did you accomplish? Noah comes out and said, I laid a massive wood floor. I'm serious, folks. Can you imagine the times of discouragement and wondering, God, are you crazy? 22 years and all you have is this giant deck. And that's it. It would take 22 years to build the next floor, 22 years to build the next floor, 22 years to build the roof. And it would take 32 years, you know, calculating kind of the way I have, to be able to build the perimeter of it as well. 120 years. A lifetime task requires clinging by faith to a God with a plan. Otherwise, what's the purpose? Verse 22, chapter 6. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet as seen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. For 120 years, you cannot tell me there were days where Noah was getting up with bandage broken, uh, discouraged reality, and it's like, God, I can't handle this anymore. I quit. The wrestling with that every day for an entire lifetime. Listen, that's where I'm getting at. This was a task, a God-given task, yet the kind of a task where you're kidding me. By the way, I cut a tree down and 40 years later, I'm coming back to cut a tree down and 40 years later, I see the trunk that I cut down 40 years earlier. I'm right back to where I started. And then after 80 years, you're doing it again. That's why 235 acres technically. And he's right back again in the discouragement and how hard it is to carry out lifetime tasks that even that the Lord places in our life. Well, we could easily say as we close it up at this point, we could say, Doug, God hasn't asked me to build a ginormous floating hotel. 
But here's the question. What has God sovereignly placed in your life for a lifetime? Let me ask it this way. What is the will of God for you? Answer. Right here. This is it. This is what God has said is the will of God for you to do. Do you know it? How are you doing with it? Hey, listen, uh, two things. One, there are those that God has given unique opportunities, situations in life that are lifetime. It can be health issues. It can be handicap issues. It can be issues, the things that you're dealt with, the loss of a spouse, loss of a child, inability to have children, a care for someone who has a handicap for a lifetime. Listen, I want to encourage you today and let you know God has a perfect plan. And by faith, keep at it. By faith. Keep at it. And for all the rest of us, God has called every one of us to know and grow in Jesus Christ. That's a lifetime call. How you doing? Hey, it's tough. Every day, do I want to follow Christ today? Do I want to follow Christ today? Do I want to follow Christ today? Am I going to be a man of the word today? Am I going to be a man of prayer today? Every day, just like Noah, having to make the decision, do I want to be what God wants me to fulfill for him? A task given to me for a lifetime. I'm going to bring this. Hey, Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, God has called you to betray yourselves for life for your wife. Come to the marriage conference. We'll work on that some more. For a lifetime, how you doing? Yeah, but Doug, you have no idea my wife. And? Wives, Ephesians chapter 5, God calls you for a lifetime to be yielding to your husband. How you doing? Yeah, but Doug, you don't know the laziness of my husband. You don't know the selfishness of my husband. You don't know my husband's an angry, he's a, he's a cranky, you know, he's a, just a selfish guy. And? And? I don't even think we should have gotten married. Okay. And? It's a lifetime ministry. Listen, this is where it pushes us. Am I about comfort and happiness? Or am I about pleasing the Lord with my life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. As I started out and talking this morning, uh, I'm mentioning that this is going to be a series that's going to push us. It's going to push us in some thinking. It's the reality is, is your word is just going to put a finger on some areas of our lives that we may not want to have touched. And God, it may put some finger on areas of our thinking that we don't want to grab a hold. And Father, to me, what is so intriguing about Noah is you and your sovereignty Played a ta placed a task, placed a situation, a circumstance onto his life, sovereignly placed, 
for your purposes. And Lord, sometimes we just read through the scriptures and we just think that he never struggled with it, never had a problem, never wrestled with it. And listen, Lord, he was a man. And like Paul and like us, he had to have days where he struggled with this and wondered. And Lord, sometimes you have trials that last for a lifetime and they're to be lifetime ministries. And that takes perseverance. That takes the ability to stay steadfast, to remain under that. Lord, I pray for those individuals who are in that reality, whether it's medical or care for someone. Oh God, would you help them to cling to the fact that you have an eternal perfect plan. And although we may not be able to see the end right at the moment, by faith, may they persevere for your glory. Lord, I pray for those of us who don't have a lifetime ministry task trial placed on our plate. I pray that we would remember that you have placed upon us the responsibility to know and grow, to worship and to walk and work for you. Oh Lord, if it's for 120 years, may we persevere. Because you are a God that has a perfect plan. God, sometimes trials aren't short. Sometimes they are very long. May we see you in the length of them as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen.